And we welcome you to another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptraw, C70 Vet at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Tara Wellman from Birds on the Black and at Tara Wellman on Twitter. We Last week, we were kind of scrambling around to find out all the details about the return of baseball. And now, Tara, a week later, well, I guess we know a little bit more <laughs> than we did then, although I'm not sure if we've got it all figured out by now. But uh, we do know baseball is coming, and we've only got another about three weeks before it really is here. Yeah, there is certainly more to realistically discuss at this point, but there's also still a lot, a lot that we don't know about. I have a hundred page document that supposedly explains how baseball is going to operate this year. And it still leaves for a lot of questions to be asked about how to actually facilitate all of the new rules and all of the new protocols, including how to turn in this 60 man list of of players available to you in the 60 games that will be played, which happened on Sunday, sort of, but it was very confusing as to how that was all going to be rolled out and how teams used that list, which is apparently an initial list and not a final list. So lots of pieces yet to be determined, even though in principle, things have all been agreed upon and are, are moving in the direction of actual baseball. Yeah, you and I were talking before we got started tonight, and it does feel a little bit like baseball has said, okay, this is what we want, we plan to do, but it's not necessarily, you know, set in stone. And if, if it works out, you know, there's a little bit of a gray area, um, you know, and as long as somebody's not trying to take advantage of situation, which so far doesn't seem like that's the case, <laughs> if you want to wait till your COVID testing is done to announce your roster, Okay, you can do that instead of doing it all up front. Um, it seems a little bit strange to me. I mean, the the idea being, of course, you never know, and it, this is just assumptions on things, things. But these are young, healthy people for the most part, and if they do have the virus, you know, they'll quarantine them, do all this stuff. But in a week or two or three, they would, in theory, be ready to get back into this. I'm I'm not really sure exactly why that's going to change the makeup, especially at Springfield, which is going to be more development than depth. I'm a, I don't know if that it really matters if somebody is sick right now and then it's not like they're probably going to say, Oh, you can't play at all this summer. Yeah. I think two things, this initial list that the Cardinals have announced, this is the group of players that they want available to them on the major league level this year, right? Mm -hmm. It's 44 mm -hmm. players on that initial list it's it's less of a roster, more of what a lot of teams are are now calling a player pool. I believe that's actually what it's referred to as in the operations manual. So this pool of players that they can select from for the active roster. And as far as the COVID testing before announcing other players, there are a lot of layers and a lot of hoops to jump through as far as what you do if a player does test positive and, and how you can put him on the COVID-specific injured list as opposed to just the normal IL and how that affects that 60 man player pool, which in reality is it really doesn't until you want to add them back to an active roster and then whoever took their spot. So it get, in season, it gets a little complex moving those pieces in and out. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I feel like this kind of conversation, you know, we want to make sure that everybody is, 
everybody tests negative before they they officially land on that roster and we don't use that spot for someone else. But there's also a, a bit of some of that nuanced nature to having to have guys who are on the 40 man versus people who are on this 60 player pool and to remove them from that pool, you have to basically release them or, or trade them or put them on some sort of restricted list. So maybe the idea is let's, let's play it safe at this point instead of putting someone in this pool that then we remove because someone else is added later. And I, I don't know. It just seems like there are so many unknowns about, exactly how that's all going to work that a lot of teams left a lot of spaces to be filled in that pool yet. And, and we'll determine that as they go along, whether it's to, to allow for the, the COVID testing or because they just can't make up their minds. <laughs> I don't know, but there's also an element of <sighs> nothing has been announced about the minor league season officially. Everyone's sort of assuming that it's dead in the water, but there are, supposedly still conversations going about maybe triple a and how they could play. So I'm wondering if there's some hesitance in, in including some of those guys on this initial list waiting to see exactly what's going to happen in any sort of minor league season, which I really can't imagine. There's a whole lot of positive percentage points that that's going to happen at this point, but with it kind of in the back of their minds, you know, announce these these players that they for sure want available at the major league level, give it a beat, see what happens on a lot of different levels, and and then add to it from there. But this is such uncharted water that I don't know what, that anyone really has a handle on the strategy of creating this player pool because it's not really anything anyone's done before. Yeah, I mean, and there is the idea, you know, also that if somebody had the case and had it at, you know, not a not severe, but even a maybe a less more than mild, let's put it that way. Um, you know, we've talked about you know how we don't know how that's going to affect them. You know, right. is it a situation where a normal person can you know go back to the office after two weeks, but a you know an athlete in the type of their you know needing to be at full physical form, you know, once if they've contracted, they may not, they may decide, okay, you're done for the year, you know, yeah. um, we'll just let you go home and, and recover and we'll see you next year. Cause we don't want to risk you, you know, causing problems, you know, long-term problems. So well, and, maybe... and that's, yeah, that's one of the big unknowns is that mm -hmm. there's this idea and a, a legitimate concern. And we're starting to see cases where it's the case that the kind of damage that can be done to your body, particularly respiratory things, like it doesn't, you don't fully recover from it. And there could be lasting permanent challenges as a result, whether it's a, a severe case or not. There was an article that came out on Sunday uh, about Rudy Gobert, who was the, the case that really <laughs> kicked this all off, right? And he mm -hmm. never seemed to be in serious danger for his life. But this article today, was saying that he's still not a hundred percent as a result of that. So uh, that was actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was the other point I wanted to make that I kind of lost track of <laughs> in everything else. I was working through as I was saying it out loud, but that perhaps the, 
the concern about setting a time frame or having other players accessible if someone does test positive is that there's just such an unknown about how it's going to impact people and how lasting or how permanent that kind of damage and, and those challenges will be. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't know. And so that's, that's fair enough to do. It's, it's interesting. The Cardinals took that route. A number of teams went ahead and announced everybody. Um, so we'll see, I, you know, it reading through the operation manual and some tweets. Um, it does sound like if you're in the pool, you're to be in the pool, you know, especially if you're not a 40 man, it's the only way you're getting out of that player pool is to be released. Right. And so if you're getting a guy like Nolan Gorman or Matthew Lubitor, who are two guys that are probably going to be part of this um, extra group at Springfield, you know, once they're in, they're in, Yeah, you know, and um, there that's uh that's an interesting little wrinkle as well i think and you know it's gonna be you start mixing some of those guys in there and i, I want to get to the actual 44 man list in a little bit but when you start speculating on the guys that might be there at springfield this year in this i don't know what they're gonna do i don't know if they're gonna do you know spring training inner squad type games if they're just doing drills whatever but whatever the case may be that may be just about as interesting to watch as the the major league team, just because of all the talent that, you know, this up and coming talent that's going to be there. Yeah. All in one place facing off against each other, regardless of sort of what level you would typically have started them out at this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a fascinating mix of players. And, you know, I think what happens with the minor league season, if they work anything out for, for any sort of version of that season, that will, sort of change how we're able to watch some of these players in that environment or whatever that environment does look like. But if it's just some sort of, you know, glorified extended spring training, if it's a lot of inner squad games, if it's a lot of, you know, live BP kind of things, it's, I don't know how to evaluate that realistically, you know, when we're looking at these guys who likely would not have been facing off against each other, whether it's a pitcher who is uber talented, but very raw, or if it's a hitter who had a hard time at high a last year, and now is going to be facing what would have been triple a pitching. Like, I don't quite know how to evaluate that. I don't think anybody does because we're not going to see them in sort of real game environments. We're not going to see the same um, elements of, you know, the pressure of performing night in and night out and simultaneously the growth that can happen with that kind of environment. So it's a fascinating side story to this whole thing that I think we'll, we'll find out more about what that all means. Like next season, (laughs) when these guys who were there purely for the developmental side of things are then put back on a roster somewhere in theory, um, placed on a roster with guys at the same level or, or a competitive level with where they are. We'll see. I'm sure some guys will thrive with the competition level being what it is in that environment. There's plenty of opportunity to learn from guys who've been there, done that at some stage, but there are probably also going to be players who fall short of that and who in direct comparison with some of those more developed players are going to look more and more like an underdog as opposed to the standout, which is going to be probably the first time in their life that they aren't the best player on the team. And 
that's such a fascinating part of the mental side of this game for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a possibility depending on all these all these kind of jugglings that you could see Alex Reyes pitching in Springfield yeah. if he doesn't make that against Jordan Walker, who mm-hmm. just got drafted. Yeah, I mean, you've got you know Alex Reyes who's been around forever, even though he's barely out of rookie <laughs> status. But I mean, you know, seriously, he's been around what four or five mm-hmm. years in the major yeah. league level. Um, a guy that was the phenom can might still be i guess depending on to face a guy that you know the last time he took in that bat was against some sort of high school pitcher right <laughs> um yeah that kind of thing would be interesting now but the thing is how much of this are we going to actually know about or i mean i don't think we're going to get to see any of it right but are they i mean how are the papers are the papers going to report about it i mean we'll get i assume mo will give some updates that's here and there but it's not like MILB will be showing these games or anything like that because you figure they're going to the adding of broadcasters and maybe even media in general is not worth the risk. Right. Yeah. It's all of that side of this is going to be interesting to watch because you can't in some sense, well, just from a, a purely logistical standpoint and a health and safety standpoint, you can't cover this summer like you would cover a normal season. We'll see how that alteration to the access alters the coverage, alters the way that stories are told or sort of the depth of the stories. I'm going to be very curious to see how many, how many attempts are made to cover this baseball season like it's any other season. And to me, that's going to always feel a bit disingenuous just because it's so abnormal. And to try to make it feel normal, I'm not sure people are really going to buy that. I I don't think I'm going to buy that because you can't really talk about the game on the field without also talking about how all of these different implemented protocols, as well as the mental and emotional and physical pressure of trying to manage a global pandemic is going to impact what we do see on the field. So from that sense, covering any part of this is going to be a very unfamiliar challenge for television media, for print media, for people like us who just talk about the team from a distance most of the time. But then you add in this layer of not only is development happening with this group of players that will be in Springfield for the Cardinals, there's the idea that there's a very real possibility that guys from that group are going to move in and out of the major league scenario as we go throughout even this hyper shortened season based on injuries, based on somebody testing positive. And if you get one guy who tests positive and then three days later, you've got four other guys who do, there's going to be a lot of movement back and forth between the players in this 60 man player pool. And I can envision a scenario where some of those guys who are in Springfield for development, not necessarily to be used at the major league level, end up on a major league roster, or at least in that taxi squad, out of pure necessity. Maybe not the guys who just got drafted. I I would think there are several layers of protection before you get that far down the list. But 
we just don't know. And that's why this, this idea that once you're in this pool, you're there and the only way to get you out of it is something dramatic. And you have to be careful with who you include in, in that pool of players. And, you know, that's all part of telling this story. So whether we have access to what goes on on a daily basis in Springfield or whether, you know, papers send somebody out there every couple of weeks or, you know, there's, there's not that many weeks involved in this scenario. So I don't know. I don't know how you cover two cities at, at the same time with stories so unique that you can't really just pop in and out and do any of it justice. Yeah. I, I did see where they were allowing, was it like three credentialed people or something to go on road trips? Right. Which was a little bit disappointing to me because I wanted Derek Gold to have to cover the road trips by watching TV, just like <laughs> we do. Um, I thought that would have been very interesting. Um, I don't know if that would have changed his perspective on anything or not. But, yeah. Um, Listen, but yeah. I used to write game recaps by listening to the games. I didn't even have the access to watch them, so it See. can be done. That's that's talent. <laughs> Maybe not right there. well, but it can be See, done. <laughs> and I just I haven't still haven't quite I and mean, you may you probably know better than I. I still haven't quite gotten whether the TV feed I get that the TV feed is gonna be the same for both sides. Right. I just don't understand. I'm not sure if that means that, you know, Danny Mac's gonna be back at you know, at Bush with that feed calling it, or if we're gonna be getting the national you know, the Brewers yeah. announcers in those games, even though they're supposed to call it more evenly. D- do you know for sure? My my understanding, what I have heard from people in in the business, is that the feed will be just one feed. In the TV world, we call it a world feed. So it's like mm-hmm. everyone gets the same pictures, <laughs> the right. same uh, you know venue sound. Although there's not going to be a whole lot of venue sound here, but the announcers are different. Okay. Uh, so the, the way that I would imagine that working and the way that like, I talked, I talked to Erica Weston about it. This was what they had sort of been told was being tossed around. I've heard it from a few other people that the, the video feed itself will be just one feed because when you have two separate feeds, a lot of times, depending on who the visiting team is, they bring in their own crew, they bring in their own cameras, they bring in their own everything, right? And they set the stadium for their feed. Sometimes they'll share a single camera or something like that, but it's it's not often entirely just one crew universally creating the the actual pictures and sound of the game. But in this case, my understanding is, and again, this is all sort of quicksand right now so my understanding is it will be one video feed but that the announcers could then call the game from a studio and um your for the regional the rsn feeds you would still get your hometown announcers it would just be there they have no control over what you're what you're seeing uh as far as the cameras so for example, Danny Mac couldn't call for a replay when he wants to see something again. Right. <laughs> he just would have to call the action based on what he's watching on TV. Well, that's good for independent contractor Danny yeah. McLaughlin. So. Which honestly, not to not to just blow past that, um, because yes, you know the, the independent contractor life is uh, is rough these days, even <laughs> even for our own Danny Mac. But actually, baseball is one of the sports 
that's easiest to do that with because Mm -hmm. a lot of times you're calling the game based off of what you're seeing on the monitor anyway, simply because, you know, you can't, you can't call strikes and balls from way up in the crow's nest off center looking from behind the plate. You can't, you can't do that. So a lot of Mm -hmm. times what you're actually calling is not what you're seeing with your own eyes as much as it is what you're seeing on the monitor from the video feed anyway. So it's not that unusual to do something like that. It's easier to adapt to that than something with basketball where maybe you're calling it from the scorer's table and you're seeing it all up close and personal. You don't often just stare at the monitor to call the game. So baseball is in a a position where doing that isn't likely going to look that much different um, or even sound that much different. Although sometimes you can tell when, (laughs) when they're in a studio elsewhere, but it will be interesting to see if it just how (laughs) well it'll be interesting to see uh, in comparison how much those rsn broadcasts are typically dramatically home flavored if you will in even just the shot selection of what you see before the game or or dugout shots during the game or whatever that might be i also don't know they're going to be a limited number of cameras as well um so we're probably not going to have all the angles we're used to having and we're not going to have quite as much you know up close and personal that sort of thing because they're limiting the staff on that side of things too i guess they kept replay i know at one time there was that idea that they could get rid of replay this year because you know when they were talking about the bubble plan and playing at different minor league parks (laughs) that there wouldn't be that kind of camera angles and stuff like that but i assume i don't think i've seen that that ever changed for this year but um yeah i think that's it's going to make it a little bit more interesting for the broadcast team just because you might get a shot, you know, especially if they've worked with these, these people for years now, right. Especially Danny yeah. Mac and Tom Meese has been in the truck for a decade plus. Um, you kind of have a feel for he's going to go to this kind of shot or this kind of shot, or we'll probably see this. And then all of a sudden you see the brewers guys. Right. <laughs> it's like, Whoa, what am I going to talk about here? Yeah. So, yeah, um, well, but I guess they've and, been doing it on the KBO and, and things of that nature, right. so it works. Yeah, it's uh, it's as much teamwork on that end as it is on the field in the sense that not only that, when you kind of get used to how a director works or how a producer works, but in the truck, you learn how your announcers work. And mm. you're also, if you're good at your job, you're listening to what they're talking about and you kind of follow their storytelling and, you know, vice versa, if there's something specific that, that the producer wants to tell. So without having that part of it, it might feel a little less, a little less personal to some extent, a little less, uh, I guess it, it might feel a little more sterile in the sense that they're really calling the game and the storytelling isn't necessarily going to match the pictures all the time. <laughs> but, you know, for people like me who often sit there with it on mute, it's really not gonna matter right no that won't um, change at all <laughs> so anyway we did get a little bit of a, a field from the actual uh names that were announced today um but Tara, like i said 44 people most of which are what you'd expect mm-hmm. um were there any names that kind of stood out to you again this is you know probably a lot of these names that we're looking at that are a little bit different are going to wind up in Springfield, at least to start the year. But, you know, if they're in St. Louis camp, 
they at least have a shot at going to being yeah. on that 30 man roster. So were there any names that you were surprised to see? Um, you know, I think it's, it's almost hard for me to, to say that genuinely because I feel like a lot of these guys are people who were making an impact in spring training initially or players who are there because they've been around for a long time. And the Cardinals tend to do that. You know, if you're like a John Nagowski, right, you've been around mm-hmm. the block a little bit and they'll give you that chance. Same thing with Max Schrock even. I feel like he hasn't been around that long, but he's been around longer than than some of these guys enough to the point where you can say Maybe he deserves that chance, but even he, he was playing well in spring training also. So uh, Oviedo is an interesting name on that list um, on the pitching side of things, but a guy that a lot of people in the organization seem to be really high on uh, maybe a bit raw as far as someone you expect on a major league roster. But look, we said the same thing about Genesis Cabrera and junior Fernandez last year, and they ended up playing really important roles down the stretch. Junior Fernandez would like to forget a few of those roles that he played, but nonetheless, they, they were pieces that at times we were like, Ooh, super talented, maybe a little raw, a little out of control. And then they ended up you know, being able to contribute at the major league level. So I don't know that we'll see that out of Oviedo, but I do think it says a lot when you look at how this list of players was created to know that the organization thinks, okay, these are the group of guys we for sure want access to as far as the major league team is concerned. And, uh, you know, Ivan Herrera is another guy that I just think so many people are so high on that to have him on this list is less about expecting him necessarily to play on the major league active roster but is putting him in that group where he's going to be working continuing to work with Molina and Weeders and Kisner and and seeing how they go about their job and and learning how he can improve from there yeah it is a little bit telling that the Cardinals uh cut Oscar Hernandez in the middle of all this pandemic stuff what was about a month or two ago um, who was the only other real veteran catcher that was in their organization he'd gone to spring training on a minor league invite type of thing. So, um, and that may be because they knew this was kind of thing was going to happen. That if they were going to play this year, they were going to need to have Herrera available because they need that development time. Um, They don't want these guys sitting, if they can help it, get them some sort of development, some sort of step forward. Um, Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there's, there's some names on there that I, I expected to be part of the pool. I don't know that I expected necessarily to be in St. Louis to start with. Um, you know, Jake Woodford being one. Um, um, maybe Osvedo. Um, you know, some guys that are on the 40-man. Because I figure, my guess is that everybody on the 40-man is going to be in one spot or another. Um, yeah. I don't see there's no point really in not um, uh, doing that. So, um, but what I did, and I remember I was walking my way back to a a thought that I had a minute ago Um, with these young guys, um, which is, which could be a a bull, you know, arms or, or it could be Dylan Carlson or something like that. How much can they let a guy get his feet wet? this year i mean you know if you you know a lot of years you can bring a guy up in may or june or whatever and you know if you know play him a little bit sporadically or let him play for two or three weeks and he could hit 150 or whatever and it's no big deal it feels to me like some of these young guys are going to have to produce from the get-go 
because I don't know that they have the the slacks that they would have in a normal year. Yeah, I mean, when it's a sprint to the finish, there's not a lot of wiggle room to let a guy figure it out, right? And mm-hmm. honestly, that's going to be true for some of the veterans on this team right. that don't always get off to a great start, just like it is for these young kids. And that's where I think someone like Dylan Carlson is a really interesting opportunity because if Dexter Fowler is not quick on the draw and he is slow to get started or to look like he's going to contribute in the role that he is there to contribute in. Not that Dylan Carlson is the same prototype as Dexter Fowler as a player in the role that he would play, but because they have more options to shift people around because they're going to be playing with the DH in place, all of a sudden, if a guy like Carlson goes to this, you know, spring training 2.0 or summer camp or whatever we're calling it mm-hmm. and picks up right where he left off and you feel like he has the momentum, this 60 game stretch is going to be so much about momentum, just like the postseason is for baseball, right? You're not going to have kind of that ebb and flow of a long season that allows you to ride it out when a guy is struggling. But you're also going to have to be careful. And this is where Mike Schilt's knowledge of the players is going to have to come into play. You can't yank guys out too quickly and move them in and out of spots to the point where this is a bizarre situation for them, not only in the construction of the season and the way that they're having to prepare quickly, but in the the mental and emotional pressure of, you know, trying to manage their safety and the health of their family as well. Like there's going to be a lot going on with these guys. That's not about baseball specifically, but it can impact the way that they're playing on the field. So there's going to be a very unusual mind game going on that Mike Schultz going to have to, work around as well and you don't want someone and I know people roll their eyes and and groan when you say something like this because you don't want someone whether it's Dexter Fowler or anybody else to lose the confidence that makes them a capable player even when they're struggling but you just don't have that grace period in this condensed time period so I don't know I don't envy Mike Schilt and having to make some of those decisions, but he's also not going to be able to sit back and let a guy figure it out as much as he did last year either. No, I really feel like, you know, the first half last year, Mike Schilt was figuring out what he had and then was able to make changes. And there isn't that, I mean, your your first half is gone and part of your second (laughs) half is gone. Um, And you've got to, you're right. I, I don't know how that works because, you know, how long do you give a guy like Fowler who could, you know, I, I think maybe less time than you would give a guy like Paul Goldschmidt or something like right. that. Yeah. But um, still there comes a point where, you know, Carpenter, you're just going to have to sit on the bench or Tommy Edmund. Hey, you know, this isn't working like mm-hmm. it did last year. Yeah. I mean, you know, where all that fits in is, is going to be a, an interesting and difficult. I mean, it's not really what Mike Shield signed up for. No, you know? no, um, this isn't what anybody planned. <laughs> no, and I mean, I don't know if it's easier that Mike Shield hasn't. I mean, he's managed the minor leagues and stuff like that, of course. But his his managerial resume isn't quite as long as maybe some others. Does that make him more flexible? Does that yeah. mean that you know? I don't know. I mean, that's just another thing of 
of all these teams are going to have to have their managers kind of figure out. Cause that's the thing we're talking about, you know, Oh, what happens if, you know, Fowler starts off slow or Carpenter starts so slow or these rookies don't well, everybody's going to have the same issues. Right. And I mean, you know, you may have, your team may be struggling, but they may run up against another team that's struggling. So, um, and, and look better for it. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's not a manager out there who knows how to do this. <laughs> None of them have ever tried before. And, you know, that does create a level of intrigue in how they're going to go about strategizing something that they've never had to do before. It kind of puts everybody on almost an even playing field, right? Because whether you have two years of experience as a major league manager or 25 years of experience as a major league manager, this is still new. And this is still something that no one's really ever had to figure out before. I will be curious to see if kind of strategy wins the day or if being a guy like Mike Schilt, who seems to win by communicating clearly and knowing his players on and off the field, if that's the the thing that that wins out, because I don't know if it's going to be as much a balance of those two things in a shortened season like this as it's going to be, you know, there's a particular kind of person that can pull this off. And we don't really know what kind of person that is yet. Um, but to answer your question, because I realized I totally didn't about the young players, <laughs> uh, I think it's a really cool opportunity uh, in light of everything else going on, it feels a little strange to say anything about this is cool because obviously right. that's not, it's right. not, but it is, it, it's, it's a, a really unique opportunity for these guys, much like we were saying about the super young guys playing with, you know, triple A veterans in Springfield. It's an opportunity for these guys to play alongside the guy that's still blocking them from getting there. <laughs> and, you know, Yadi or Molina and Mike Matheny both talk about that when Yadi first came up and and Matheny was like, oh, I knew I knew he was going to be the guy and and my time was limited at that point. But Yadi talks about how much he learned in that chance to play alongside someone like Mike Matheny who had been there and done that in so many different circumstances. So it's a it, it is in that sense a cool opportunity for these young guys, whichever ones end up on at least that initial active roster, and then it'll shrink down from there. And as far as how you get them playing time, yeah, you can't you can't do what has happened sometimes and, and let them sort of flounder until they figure it out. But you can give them very real opportunities to prove that they are capable of competing at the major league level. And I think, you know, what the pressure is like in that circumstance to me, as someone who's never going to be in that circumstance, there's there's less pressure almost on those young guys because they weren't supposed to be there anyway. So yeah. this is all bonus in that sense that they're going to get these very real opportunities to prove what they're capable of. Now, could that backfire and all of a sudden you realize how overmatched they are and then they end up, you know, not making the cut when some of those cuts start happening to the active roster. Sure. That's probably going to happen to somebody, but the opportunity is pretty golden nonetheless. Yeah. Um, we've gone a little bit long, but we probably should touch on one other thing that came out this week. Um, kind of out of the blue. Um, John Brevia had Tommy John surgery and is out <laughs> for 
until probably this time next year. And it looks like he had it at the beginning of the month. I mean, he didn't go the Ryan Sheriff route, which is probably, right. you know, he didn't yeah. put it up on Instagram right. for us to find out, but it's a little bit strange. A little bad about the, that, but. Yeah. Um, still a little bit strange to find this out, you know, weeks after the fact instead of while it was happening, which I mean, again, it's, it's part of the difference between not having games and other things to focus on, but still just, just a little bit strange. And obviously John Brebby is at a spot where they are doing non-essential surgeries. Yeah. Uh, wild to see that announcement. And it seemed like it was just sort of this casual drop in like, oh, by the way, also John Brebby had Tommy John surgery at the beginning of the month. And um, yeah, we're going to be naming these players uh, on Sunday. So <laughs> like what? <laughs> um, it's wild to me that no one had that story. Yeah. And as connected as the St. Louis media, not to, not to call out the St. Louis media, but it is just wild to me that no one had that story. Now, as far as health things are concerned, look, there are privacy issues involved and, and mm. not all of that has to be disclosed. And I get that. And that's how it happened, right? That didn't have to be disclosed until, you know, the team was reporting on who was available and who wasn't. But it is just in this, in this day and age where nothing, nothing is surprising like that. It just kind of blows my mind a little bit that it, they, they were able to slide that past everyone. I mean, John Brebby is that kind of guy, right? That, that something could happen and you could talk to him and not know that there was anything going on, but he's also not necessarily the type that's going to be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to post on social media that my season is over because I had, you know, he just is going <laughs> to show up and, and get it done and then do the work to get back and afterwards be like, Oh yeah, I, uh, I had some, some surgery a while back. No big deal. Well, I mean, I could see Brevia, you know, you know, Derek Gould checking in. Hey, how you doing? Oh, you know, just had Tommy John surgery. Oh, yeah. Okay, whatever. You know, yeah. I mean, just, yeah. you know, just just trying <laughs> to play pranks on him or something like that. And, you know, it's kind of passing. Oh, wait, he was actually serious about that. So, um, no, unfortunately, Mo did not fill people in about the status of John Brevia's beard mm. uh, and all this. I don't the know. Important if they, details. Mo's just yeah. not good at that. I mean, because he, he doesn't shave while he's playing, but he's not going to play for a year. Though, right. granted, right now he probably can't shave, so that's a <laughs> different story. But True. anyway, I mean, these are the questions we need to know, and honestly... If I just, was on the beat, we yeah, would know these things. Exactly. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff... I mean, Tara has covered hair for a long time, Yeah, and I would I would know about John Brebius beard. If, if By the way, uh, Harrison Bader's curls are, are at peak levels right now. So, are they? you know, for anyone who is concerned when he cut them all off last year, never fear. They're back and better than ever. Oh, and I guess we should, going back to the players that were there and <laughs> I, I know we will wrap this up some point in time, but we should probably note, I don't know that it's important. A lot of Maple make a big deal out of it. Jordan Hicks is on that list. Ah, uh, that's yeah. in, in, um, you know, we saw uh, him throwing uh, a bullpen, I guess, uh, this week. I think he put that up on Twitter. You know, Hicks was in spring training, too. I mean, I, I think that the idea that he was going to be back this year, we knew that. It's about this time where he should be coming back. He could be there for opening day now. I don't know that this tells us just 
whole lot. You know, I mean, I, I would be, I would be more surprised if he wasn't on the list than if he was. Right. Again, keep in mind that this is about the players you want available to you mm. during this season. This is not a roster. It's not an active list of players who will be there to, you know, be on the field to play on opening day. This is just the pool of players you want access to this season. And there's no way you leave Jordan Hicks out of that equation, right? Because in a normal season, had we started this all two and a half months ago, he was scheduled to be back around this time. So, you know, you get to all-star game type dates on the calendar. And that's when we were expecting the addition. That's just like a trade of Jordan <laughs> Hicks. So to not have him included in that would have been far more surprising. And I think more alarming because that would, to me indicate that something had gone wrong right, right. in the recovery process. So yeah, not a surprise. I mean, it's a good thing in the sense that cool. Jordan Hicks is on the comeback trail and we'll likely see him at some point, assuming this 60 game season does actually happen, but yeah, not, not shocking in the sense that, Oh, look at this new thing we didn't expect to happen. Jordan Hicks is expected to be available at some point this season. Right. All right. Well, you know, we are a little bit scattered around here because we actually have stuff to talk about and it's just, we don't know how to do this. It's been a while. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. But um, anyway, we'll be back next week. I I guess next week we'll actually have people in camp. Um, (laughs) We may, may have positive. Yeah. um, We'll see how many people are still in camp. (laughs) Yeah. I guess that'll be the kicker. So, but um, until then, that is Tara. I'm Daniel. Good night. Hey, Cardinals fans. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under podcasts and click subscribe. While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.